Good morning, everyone. It is the 4th of May. My name is Lorna Denny, and I'm joined today by Seamus Lyons and Alex Byrne. The US Federal Reserve meeting had little impact on the financial markets last week, despite Jay Powell's insisting that any uptick in inflation will be transitory. President Biden marked his first 100 days in office with yet another massive stimulus package, this one worth $1.8 trillion. It is to be called the American Families Plan. And this stimulus is really starting to be seen in U.S. economic data, Seamus. We had a strong Q1 GDP number, for example. Indeed, Lorna. So on Thursday, the U.S. Commerce Department reported a gross domestic product, GDP, expanded at an annualized rate of 6.4% in the first quarter, very much supported by a healthy increase in government spending. And also, while we're talking about GDP, so whilst we're only a month into the second quarter, expectations are for GDP growth here to approach double digits driven by further recovery in consumer services, sturdy investment growth, and the continued flow of government spending, the American Rescue Act. And just to point out, I mean, it wasn't the only good macro news in the week. The weakest jobless claims came in again, now hitting a pandemic-era low of only 553,000. And the consumer confidence numbers as well from the conference board also came in at the best level they have been since February of last year. So a good week in the macro front. Yes, and there is that sense of building confidence. We still have the quarterly earnings season and a number of the FANG stocks reported their quarterly earnings. Any standout comments from these companies? So, yeah, indeed, it was the busiest week of first quarter earnings. I think about 180 constituents of the S&P 500 reporting on the week. And there were some big numbers reported with the average earnings growth of almost 33% for most companies compared to a year ago. So this is the fastest rate of growth in over a decade and significantly higher as well than earlier estimates. There's been a lot of earnings surprise and a lot of earnings beats. So yes, you mentioned the fangs. I mean, these were the big names that reported on the week and most enjoyed some very strong earnings growth and very strong revenues. And most came in significantly above analyst expectations. So for instance, Apple, Facebook, Google, Amazon, they all easily surpassed expectations and they all rose quite strongly in the week. But we also had uh, bellwethers like uh, Microsoft reported and they again topped analyst expectations, but yet their stock price fell on the day. And it's, I feel a bit of an indication that expectations are already very high at the moment after such strong performance in recent weeks. That's interesting indeed. If we turn to Europe now, though, Alex, in contrast to this US growth recovery, the Eurozone appears to be heading for a double dip recession. Why the divergence there? Morning, Lorna. That's correct. So it's important to remember, whilst the economic data isn't fantastic compared to the US, the markets are still near or at all-time highs. So the stock market's certainly looking forward slightly more than the economics say. Main reasons for the divergence are, firstly, the level of stimulus. So obviously, national governments have been able to implement a certain amount of stimulus into their own economies. But the large EU-wide stimulus package still hasn't hit the ground yet. It's been mired in bureaucracy and and courts and everything else. So it's actually still yet a year on from the beginning of the pandemic yet to really hit the ground and do some good. The other thing is around the, the virus levels and lockdowns being more severe in Europe than they have been in the US partly due to the vaccination strategy, which, as we all know, has been much more slow and stagnant in Europe than it has been in places like the UK and the US. So whilst the US has been open and has still had high levels of individual cases, one thing that the vaccine does as well as preventing some of the overall cases is it also limits the severity so the people that are in hospital and also the amounts of people that are severely ill in hospital as well is reduced where we haven't really had that as much in Europe. 
Despite that, though, the data and the sentiment remains fairly high and the outlook remains fairly positive for those reasons. In the next few months, we will start to get that sentiment hit the ground and we'll get a more meaningful rebound and recovery in Europe. So although the economics aren't quite there yet, they look good going forward and the stock levels still are at all-time highs. Yes, thank you. And on a global basis, then, the semiconductor shortage story just rolls on and on. And we can see the impact now being felt on consumer electronics as well as the car industry. It does, yeah. So it's a classic case of supply and demand, really, and it's been squeezed on both ends of that. So not just from the supply side in terms of the factories being shut down during the lockdowns and the height of COVID that we had. You also had things like Trump's trade war, which created bottlenecks in terms of who and what could be exported and imported. Producers of semiconductors are fairly concentrated at the top end. So there's a few very large producers. So obviously, if you shut some of them down in one or two individual countries, it has an outsized effect. But the other thing is from the demand side. So everyone being locked up at home, obviously, there's been a surge in people not only buying consumer electronics like TVs and and laptops and computers and and screens to be able to suffice the working from home demand, but also given that people aren't spending money on holidays and and other leisure activities like that, people have been investing either in their homes and electronics normally are a large part of that, or in things like cars. It's been a fairly good time to buy a car because people have had disposable income lying around from not going on a holiday. As you mentioned, the important thing to know is how long this could last and what effect it could have. Given how long it takes to start up a lot of these fabrication factories and the amount of complexity in the backlog that has happened, the lag in semiconductors could last a few years. This has a massive knock-on impact for consumer prices because they're going to pretty much everything these days. And uh, that clearly has an effect on inflation, which obviously is a bit of a, a hotspot at the moment anyway. So when you add that in, the inflation numbers that we had in Europe, which are already quite high, they have the potential to go higher. Yes, interesting. We'll have to monitor that inflation situation there. But in the near term, the week ahead, Seamus, it's the first week of the month. So that will bring this the usual raft of PMI data. Indeed, Lorna. Yes. So the ISM, they released their closely followed manufacturing and services PMI figures this week. These have both been trending higher in recent months, and this is expected to continue again this month. So the manufacturing PMIs, this is expected to come in at around 65, which is well above the level of 50, which indicates economic expansion. And the services PMI, that's expected to come in at around 64. So expectations are very, very high. You know, there has been some supply side issues in recent weeks due to weather and some COVID-related restrictions. So it will be interesting to see if these have had much of an impact on the figures released. And of course, on Friday, we have U.S. unemployment data. Yes. So on Friday, the U.S. Department of Labor releases its April employment figures and the market is expecting a big number here again. Economists say payrolls in April could easily reach 1 million new jobs. And this is after 916,000 jobs were added in March, which is the highest month for month increase since August last year. So for April, the consensus is around 978,000 jobs to be created. Also, the U.S. unemployment rate, which is also released at the same time with the non-farm payrolls, this is expected to fall to 5 5.8% from 6%. So these two data points are very closely followed by the markets and are you know, key indicators as to the strength of the US reopening and how it's going. And closely followed by the Federal Reserve. Sounds like a very interesting week. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you, Lorna. Thank you, Lorna.